Hello and welcome to Esports Boom episode 14? Might have been like 16. 16, gosh, it's been a while. Um, as always, I'm joined by my co-host Maurice Eisenman. I'm Anton Ferraro and we're going to go over all the recent esports business news from the past week. Uh, Mo, what is our first story? So our first story is kind of one of those stories that when you look at it from the outside, it seems very innocent and it seems like something very small, but this can have a lot of potential uh, ramifications very positively though. So um, Japan, JESPA, like the Japan Esports Association, which is a governmental association, um, issued pro licenses for esports players. So uh, this this was uh, reported by um, uh, Yuji Nakamura uh, from Bloomberg. Um, and the Japanese government will start issuing these licenses to esports players next year uh, through the true JESPA. Uh, why is this important? Because previously esports was seen as uh, something similar to video poker, according to the Japanese government. So it limited the prize money. It required an entry fee. Uh, and uh, these licenses will also separate pro players from the amateur players, which is pretty interesting. Just to keep it a little bit realistic, it is they limited the games to start with. So as of now, it'll just be winning 11, which I don't have never heard of. It makes sense. Um, Street Fighter, Tekken, Puzzle and Dragons, and Monster Strike. So besides uh, Tekken and Street Fighter, not really big esports titles. But I think we, if this works out, I think pretty quickly we can see uh, games like League and and Overwatch come into here as well. So Anton, what are what are your thoughts? Yeah, I mean, this is something that you've kind of heard a lot on the peripherals of the esports industry for a long time. Japan always had like incredibly strict laws. Um, it's really not surprising that they're going for fighting games primarily out of this bunch. That those are the titles that we kind of recognize over here on the in the Western world with Street Fighter and Tekken, where you have um, traditional players like um, Daigo, who you know are legends, and I think Takedo is also Japanese, um, and uh, those are the games that they picked. Japan has historically had a very large arcade scene so kind of in the sense where you have pc bongs in korea um, japan was big in arcades so it's definitely the right move for them um you know as you've seen kind of china burst into the esports scene you've seen korea this law was one of those things that kind of prevented japan from embracing esports in the same way that um it's you know geographical neighbors had so i think it's a good move i think it's a forward-thinking move i think that you know they um it's a I guess they were a very heavily regulated place, and then now their goal is to um, kind of catch up that net as esports has evolved. Yeah, and and one of the things you know you mentioned Tokido, like the reason why fighting games, why they're still a, a popular following in Japan, is primarily because these players, um, if they you know when they reach certain levels, they would come for big tournaments, they would come to the U.S. Uh, so these players had the opportunity, the financial opportunity to go to the U.S. to go and play there for, for these tournaments. Um, and the grassroots Street Fighter player doesn't have that. Um, but what I think is really interesting is that all the all the elements are there for Japan to be an esports ju- juggernaut. I mean, the country is obsessed with video games in the most positive way. They tend to play a lot of these games, maybe not 
the same type of maybe not like League and and Overwatch aren't that popular in Japan, but they don't need to be a juggernaut in those games. Like they have they have done particularly relatively well in Hearthstone and other other games that are maybe a little different than in fighting games. It'll be interesting it'll be interesting to see how Nintendo is going to embrace this, right? Because Nintendo's kind of been making its own moves into esports. You have the new Pokemon game coming out. They have the Pokemon World Tour. Pokémon Pokken. I mean, Pokken's kind of on the way out. Do they have a new one coming in out or not? Well, it's on the Switch now, as far as I know, and it has a good following, like like similar to like Smash in the early days. But yeah, no, I'm just I'm curious to see how Nintendo will embrace this because you know they're the powerhouse out of that country, and uh, you know, just to see them host and like develop their own domestic esports competitions will be great. And also, before we saw Nintendo when with their esports they were very much focused on competitive like amateur tournaments a reason for that might be because of the japanese regulations so they couldn't like have any professional tournaments um they liked like all their tournaments in general in japan were very very usually without a prize pool like you get like gear and stuff like that they also had a weird one where i think um i guess I'm not sure how big Twitch is there now, but I think maybe as recently as two or three years ago, a lot of their tournaments were distributed on DVDs, and that was like a really great way how those guys made money. Um, so I thought that was kind of an interesting anecdote about you know something that's local to their country. All right, but uh, yeah, it's definitely a story to look out for. Um, Anton, I think I think you have a next story to tee up. Yeah, so um, coming out of Los Angeles, which is where I just was, um, Crosscut Ventures raised $125 million to invest in local LA companies. And with such a high concentration of esports and game companies in that area, um, it's a pretty safe bet that a good portion of that money will go to esports and video gaming companies. Um, so the other things that they're interested are artificial intelligence, software as a service, SaaS, uh, and virtual and augmented reality startups. Um, and the company has also previously invested in Super Evil Megacorp and Immortals, who are both pretty knee-deep into esports. Uh, Mo, do you have any thoughts on this? Yeah, I think this is I think this is good news. Um, usually, I'm pretty hesitant where you have these like big funds that have esports as one of their targets um, because they tend not to be smart money. Uh, they tend to just want to have esports the same way people like to have VR. Um, I think this is interesting for two reasons. Number one, Crosscut Ventures in the venture capital community has a very, as far as I know, a very positive. Uh, reputation. So the fact that they are able to uh, to outgrow their their initial projection of funding uh, and having esports as one of their uh, key, key focus areas is is pretty good. Uh, secondly, from an uh, investor perspective, and we'll talk about pro- probably more about that towards the last part of the episode. But um, I think. It's good to see um, the investing community embrace esports uh, and gaming more specifically. Because if we look at Super Evil Megacorp, that's more a gaming company than, than it is particularly esports focused. Yeah, no, I mean, the other thing, I'm going to jump on board and I uh, peruse their Crunchbase profile. Other esports ventures that they've invested in that will be familiar to our listeners are Mob Crush, which is a, a mobile streaming website. Um, Blitz Esports, which is, you know, had its own kind of like bout of controversy last week when it was revealed that Riot was an early investor. I think there was one more that I saw. Oh, and Vulcan. Vulcan was the, um, it was, uh, I think that's where they actually found, what's his name? Um, Who's the CEO of Immortals? Noah. Noah? 
Yeah, Noah was on Vulcan making all kinds of crazy teams, and some guy was like, oh, I think you'd be good at running an actual esports team. Oh, that's great. So it's like, you know, it's... E- oh, yes, that's true. Vulcan is the fantasy esports site, right? Yeah. yeah. I think we're going to jump a little bit out of order from what our itinerary was for this show, but I think it's a nice segue into... Um, Super Data Research came out with a paper today about one how the esports industry is worth $1.5 billion dollars. Half of that money, roughly, is from uh, investments, investments. Into, into the space. So yeah, it's like 50%. I don't know. I did not get a chance to look at that report in depth. What were your thoughts on it? So, first of all, the same way what always happens when like Superdata, NewZoo, or any other company brings out a report is they look at like... Is this report pro- public or private, by the way? It's a free report for everyone to download. Okay. Once a year, they have like their free esports report with like trends. Usually, you know, I, I really like a lot of Superdata's work. Um, I think that inherently there's nothing wrong with this statement. Uh, I, have, I think they did nothing wrong with this. What I, what I do think is wrong is a lot of these publications, um, especially the ones that aren't so endemic to esports, had all these headlines like esports industries were at one and a half billion dollars this year. And we have to look at it with a grain of salt because... Half of it, as Anton mentioned before, is investment. And investments aren't revenue. Investment is a check. Investment is a, is, a, is, a, is, a, is a loan, basically. And as an industry, you need to pay off that loan. Uh, you need to, you, next year, the industry needs to grow so that you can get a return on investment. If, if next year esports isn't, uh, isn't the hot topic anymore, that investment can decline to a third of what it is right now. So... I while I do think you know esports revenue will only grow. I think more realistically, when we're looking at investment, I would say if you want to count that as revenue, take one third of that. Yeah, let, let's let's eliminate what is it ninety percent, ninety nine percent of investments don't pan out. So that's like what you get three million that'll last, and then the other ones will be a hundred xers. I think it's very good to say like you know like yeah, you can do something like that like like seven hundred fifty million is revenue. It's weird to count that as revenue. Yeah. I, I think we we both agree. We don't we're not sure how to act properly, you know, reframe it. But I think it's weird. Well, I'm looking for hopefully uh, some of the super data people will be there tonight. And we can ask them in person. Oh yeah, we're, uh, we're we have an esports meetup for the New York group. So while Mo was talking about it, um, I took the time to download the report, um, and I'm just going to peruse over the numbers. Um, so they said that in 2017, we brought in $1.5 billion, and they're predicting that by 2022, it's going to be $2.3 billion uh, in revenue. 35% of the revenue came from sponsorship and ads. 50% came from investments. 6% came from prize pool. 5% came from merchandise and ticket sales. And 5% came from betting and amateur tournaments. Some information about prize pools, hotbeds are San Francisco, Los Angeles, Dallas, Houston, Miami, Boston, New York, Philadelphia. Pub Battlegrounds had a lot of numbers. Man, that was a big tweet today. I think, uh, you know, somebody got caught uh, retweeting this and then, you know, they they reframed it in a poor way. And I just I didn't like that whole fight Um, Two consulting agencies basically going at each other, you know, frame it from that perspective. Um, Twitch and YouTube are going head to head. Accurate. Can't wait to see what Facebook will do. And yeah, I mean, it kind of basic stuff, nothing that's kind of like eye opening, but, you know, it's, I guess it's a good like little barometer. I feel like, you know, they've gotten a little bit more conservative in their, in their, um, 
valuations or predictions than previous years. Yeah, and what's important to note is that a lot of these reports, these like free reports, are meant um, they're meant to pique your interest. And then once you're interested in actually knowing more about the reasoning behind those numbers, that's when you actually acquire these the actual paid reports from Superdata. Yeah, no, and it's actually like, you know, I run this thing called the Esports Hunt. And um, over the past few weeks, I've gotten an, an increasing number of people who are reaching out. And they're like, oh, let's work together. Let's work together. And then when I look into what their business is, they generate these reports that are that they're charging people for. And, you know, I can't help but think that, you know, I'm eating into their bottom line somehow. So, you know, a little pat on the back for cannibalization. All right, let's move on to the next story. The following story is that Riot Games overhauled their college esports setup for 2018. Um, they've seen a lot of growth in the past year. They're up from 246 teams in 2016 to 298 teams in 2018, I think now. Wait, so, yep. No, t- 298 this year. Um, which is 2017, we're not in 2018 yet. Uh, They're creating a permanent structure that can easily accommodate schools and conferences as they join without major changes. I think that's actually, they're moving into the territory of the NCAA. Um, So first movers advantage there to riot. See what else is there. Uh, 2018, six weeks, there'll be a six week regular season that will use a Swiss format. Riot game dropped its relationship with Collegiate Operator Collegiate Star League in favor of Battle Phi. Uh, so it's kind of interesting that you're seeing some of these guys that, you know, built the college scene go by the wayside as you know and lose ground to actual startups. Um, you know, all in favor of having whatever the superior product may be, whatever the superior product to win, um, but always a little disheartening to see the people who put in the legwork kind of get put on the sidelines. Absolutely. Um, I think Collegiate Star League really is good at what they're doing. That being said, um, I've worked using the Battlefy product before for some tournaments, and it's very good. I think their biggest um, advantage is that a lot of it is automated, and more importantly, that it's easy to scale. So if all of a sudden like 15 new, t- new colleges come by, it's not a problem. Uh, which which f- clearly is the main focus for Riot right now. Yeah, no, I think, that, you know, they don't want to limit the growth when they have it. Um, I think that it's, gosh, I guess the, the other one that's kind of interesting that I heard a little bit more about, you know, while we're on the subject of Battlefy was Smash GG. Um, they got, they raised a pretty significant round earlier this year. And, um, you know, I was talking with somebody who um, had a discussion with the founders and what he basically said was Smash GG's vision, I think this can also relate to Battlefy, was they don't necessarily just want to be a tournament platform. They want to be the platform that touches everything relating to an esports tournament. So they want to help and basically secure vendors for jerseys. They want to do the ticketing services. They want to do the on-site concessions. And basically they want to optimize all these third-party mechanisms and help tournament providers generate meaningful revenue in a streamlined process. Um, so I think that that is, it's kind of an interesting vertical and, an, and a good vertical for these guys to be chasing. Yeah, absolutely. I think we're looking at this kind of from a bird's eye view. I think it's very promising that growth is the reason why they're making this decision, particularly collegiate growth. Uh, the deck, Like 50 plus new colleges in one year, that's incredible growth. Um, I don't see that stopping anytime soon. Now, I feel like all the colleges are going to experiment with it, you know, especially with everything that you're hearing about football. These guys are looking for a way to pivot out of something that, you know, is going to open them up for 
um, potentially lawsuits. Like it's one thing for the NFL to be handling all these CTE lawsuits. It's a whole nother thing the moment that it's like it's student athletes. Um, so yeah, esports. It's the way the way of the future. Um, so I guess that let's go into our next story. Um, we we're going to talk about the NBA 2K League. Uh, Mo, I know this is one that you've been following closely. Yeah, um, I mean, for if for anyone that hasn't heard it yet, um, I have to do the plug for esports boom. Uh, we had an, a bonus episode a couple weeks ago with some of the uh, gentlemen running the NBA 2K League uh, from a team perspective. It's very worth, worthwhile to kind of find out what their vision is. That being said, so this week the NBA 2K League officially unveiled their logo. Um, and it was the first like, big announcement that the NBA 2K made and a glimpse into their identity as a league. Um, so the logo was designed by branding agency Rare Design in out of Hattiesburg, Mississippi. So the NBA 2K League logo, according to one of their quotes, is absent of any human likeness. It was set up to speak to the inclusive nature of the league. Anyone male or female domestic abroad is eligible. Uh, the basketball was selected as the centerpiece because it's a connection for all NBA 2K players. The logo is very reminiscent of the general NBA logo. Uh, which is kind of how the NBA likes to do it, uh, which I think isn't necessarily that bad. Um, I think the logo is kept very minimalistic on purpose. Um, and because the second thing, what we're going to mention is that the NBA 2K teams, a lot of them so far, I think most of them are rolling out this week, launched their team identities. Uh, team identities are very unique. You know, they're very different in color. They're very different in name. Um, so you want to have uniqueness that way. Yeah, I mean... Two, my two comments on that were there was so there were so many announcements this morning with logos. I just I got I don't want to say I got bored, but I was just you know my my attention span was exhausted and I didn't want to look at all of them. Um, so, but the ones that I did look at, I think it was the Mavericks, the Cavaliers. You know, they did create something unique, but it was something that you know felt that was on brand. Yes. Um, so, I like the individual team logos more than I like the actual nba 2k league logo i agree like i said i think the nba 2k league is 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 minimalistic and reminiscent of the nba to nba on purpose giving the teams the the opportunity to to go wild i think that's really good i think we see some interesting stuff like so some stuff that's very conservative uh and and i think some stuff that's a little bit more risky i i the Cavs logo, for instance, is more reminiscent of general esports esports teams. The Wizards logo is is really unique for it for for a uh, team, and I and I enjoyed looking at that one a lot. Um, and also their their identities, quote unquote, are different. You want to dive a little bit more into the Cavs uh, logo? I think there was some um, they had a sponsor that was attached to it. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, fun fact is we have our first ever, I think it's a, even a jersey sponsor for uh, the NBA 2K, and that's Hot Pockets with the Cavs. Always good to bring that bring that money in. Uh, it's the first one. Uh, while, so if you keeping the score, the uh, OWL has one jersey sponsor. The NBA 2K now has one jersey sponsor as well. Um, so the other one that it's kind of just a little bit of history on this um, the Cavs are partnered with 100 Thieves, which is Nate Shot's team. And Nate Shot in the past has had a personal sponsorship with Hot Pockets. So I do think that there's a little bit of history there between, you know, Nate Shot, the Cavaliers, and Hot Pockets. Um, Hot Pockets were previously an MLG sponsor in 2011 for a couple of years. They sponsored a team called Triggers Down. 
um, and Triggers Down is most famously, I guess, the last remaining member of Triggers Down who's active is, sorry, I'm going a little bit on a Halo memory lane right now, but um, uh, Andy Dudusky, who's the head esports producer at 343i. So one interesting thing that I think is, is worthwhile for discussion is that Bryce Bloom tweeted something out to the sense of, oh, all these, all these brands are now regretting the fact that they didn't include digital rights in their, in their jersey sponsorship. And this is really interesting because for a couple of reasons. So number one, if we're looking at uh, the FIFA, uh, the way it goes in FIFA, it's usually it's a, it's a done deal together, primarily because jersey sponsorship is very common in, in soccer, European soccer. And um, so we, so it, you're expecting your jersey to your 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 uh, brand logo to be on the on the FIFA game as well. You're expecting that. Uh, what's because that's obviously a large part of your marketing. Uh, what's interesting to see is so let's take the Cavs as an example. So I don't know if the Cavs have a regular jersey sponsor, assuming they have, uh, but it can be any other team for that matter. So let's say a team has a regular jersey sponsor and a NBA 2K jersey sponsor. Which one of the two would get priority on the next version of NBA 2K? More importantly, will there be an option even to, I'm assuming it will be the regular NBA team, but will there be an option like during in-game, like will you play with an NBA 2K jersey and not with your regular jersey? Those are all interesting. Yeah, I mean, I think it's... Video games give the flexibility to change things on the fly, which I'm sure these teams are going to love. They're probably, it allows brands to buy in for a smaller amount. Um, you know, the exposure remains to be seen. But I guess it's good to see that, you know, we're getting uh, well thought out programs for Jersey logo placement. I'll just give a, an example I, I found with uh, with Alex Amson and the Dutch soccer team. So I know for a fact that they were having a negotiation with their Jersey sponsor, and they actually got a lot more money uh, than, than they would have had for the jersey sponsorship of their FIFA team because they threw it in. They said, hey, um, we want to have X amount of money for, uh, for, for our sponsorship. How about to make that up for you, this increase in sponsorship money, we'll throw in the rights for our FIFA team and you'll get that as well. So they treated the FIFA team as an upsell? Yeah, and it and it that upsell was worth a lot more money than they would ever get for FIFA alone. So I thought that was interesting. Yeah, no, I mean there's definitely opportunities. Um, I guess you know, props to the NBA guys. You know they've been grinding it out. I feel like everybody was on a press tour today. We've seen a lot of great stuff come out of them. Um, you know their cousin over at EA, uh, Madden, also had some pretty big news this week. Um, the CW will basically air a Madden NFL 18 esports survivor style special for TV. Um, and basically what's going to happen is there's going to be a live Madden tournament on, I have the article up here. Um, there's going to be a Madden live tournament. And then a couple of days later, they're going to put it on TV. So there is a delay and the results are going to be available um, from what I understood, but it's great to see that it was on the CW. The CW has done a lot of experimentation with, um, uh, television programming. I think after Turner, they're the next biggest. And I think the CW has had the biggest amount of reach because they did the H1Z1 that was huge. They did Injustice 2, which was huge. And I, th- and I think that there was uh, a couple more. The H1Z1 was interesting primarily because similar to what you were saying, I think there, there was a live tournament or the results were kind of known already. But the viewership was still really, really well done. 
on on their on the on the replay value. Yeah, no, I mean it's I think that um gosh, another discussion that I thought was super interesting was um sorry, I'm kind of going on a rant right now. But uh Turner's strategy for their E-League major, I think that makes a ton of sense. Um so they are basically treating their television channel as a net and then they are funneling all their audience during the major to their digital their live digital broadcast. Um so while the E-League tournament is going on, on Turner, there will be um, short-form content, you know, basically player interviews, um, player bios, exposés, basically content that works really well on TV. And if you're channel surfing and see it, uh, you'll basically have, this will be the hook. You'll get interested in the players. And then their goal is to inform you that this actual live tournament is going on online. And I think that's, you know, a brilliant, brilliant strategy. I'm curious to see what the results will be, but I think it will be effective. I think it's really well done. Um, I think the numbers will be impressive on on the digital channel anyways, because it's a major. So tons of people are going to watch anyways. And I think what also, they were thinking if they would have put that on traditional TV, it probably would have un- underwhelmed a little bit because it probably would have done as well as, let's say, a Rocket League championship that's on TV. But it's a lot bigger in esports terms. So this way they can utilize you know, their TV time to hopefully even grow the following on, on Twitch. And yeah, well, last time they were on Twitch, they set the record that E-League Major, what is it, they crossed a million views, I think yeah. it was last January, about a year ago. So yeah, no, that's a lot of great TV. It's good, it's good to see the eSports TV strategy uh, evolve and to figure out a way for it to, um, uh, what's the word I'm looking for, um, complement the digital strategy. So that was, you know, good stuff from E-League, good stuff from CW, sports leagues are doing well. Um, and then back to the NBA. Um, I'll read the headline and then you go into the details. Um, the NBA wants its games to look like Twitch, so it's streaming minor league games on Twitch. Yeah, so this is actually this is a huge surprise when I saw this uh, this week. But the NBA will start uh, streaming up to six games a week from its minor league, so the G League, uh, starting Friday. So they're using it really as an experimental platform as as we talked about on an earlier episode of the podcast, Adam Silver already said that he wants his his NBA games to look a lot more like Twitch with regards to the interactivity. Well, here's the first type of experimentation, actually put it on Twitch. So uh, Twitch uh, will have, you know, obviously you can comment on the games like Twitch chat, but uh, it will give uh, a, a few commentators, probably NBA 2K commentators, like uh, Gold Glove. I don't know of him, but I'm assuming he's big in his community. Yeah, he's big. Yeah. So they they will give the ability to do kind of a co-hosting, like we saw with the Video Game Awards, yeah. which I think is the most undervalued asset for any marketeer. Period. Um, and then viewers can also call up interactive graphics with players and team data, probably an overlay similar to what we have at Hearthstone. Um, and there's a future that rewards fans for interacting with the streams by giving them loyalty points. Gosh, I feel like I'm going to go on another side tangent. I mean, it's great for the N- like it's great for the NBA to embrace Twitch. I feel like that's where the audience that's like younger lives right now. Um, where were these minor league games broadcast before? So the G League is new. Before, I think they had some stuff with Twitter. They're not exclusive to Twitch. No, but like what I'm basically saying is it's like, were they getting any type of reach on like basic cable channel 289 or something? No, or? like NBA two, NBA TV, you know, NBA TV probably on NBA's NBA to go. Yeah. 
yeah. uh, and then a lot of it was on social. Yeah, so I mean, you know, logical place, great, you know, um, great move by the NBA, always being kind of ahead of the curve. Um, so props to them. Um, so I, I mean, those are basically the articles that we wanted to talk about. We're kind of going to go into like some free roam topics. Um, one of the ones that I love this week, speaking about people making moves and figuring out ways to move with audiences. Uh, did you see what Mixer did this week? With was that with the channel they announced? Yeah, so they have this thing called uh, PUBG came to the Xbox, and um, basically because they tap into the game engine and you know they have access to like the back end software, they created this channel called the Hype Zone. So whenever a player was in the top ten uh, of their PUBG game. Uh, they would get put into this channel called the hype zone that there were like 200 people sitting in there. And then it's like, you know, when you hit you when you hit like the top 10 of PUBG, right, in your game, you were rewarded with an audience that just like escalated instantaneously. That was I thought that was really, really well done. No, I mean, I thought that was really great. Um, you know, it was just like fun. Like the the streamers would get excited. The fans were going hype zone. And, and it's like, uh, obviously, it's like it reminds you about red zone because they only show you like the, the winning plays, like the top 10 plays when you're so close to winning. So I think it's really cool. I, I wonder how they're able to do that if they have if they have a. There must be something on the back end. But it's like it's great to see like, okay, streaming sites to get beyond this mentality of, you know, we're TV but on the internet. You know, okay, yeah. you're, you're, they're, you're playing around with a, a bunch of cool things. Um, other headlines this week that we kind of saw was that um, the Gamer Agency was acquired by the Engine Shop. Um, Engine Shop is owned by Bruin Sports Capital, and they do a lot of esports activations. And if you're wondering what the Bruins Sports Capital other large partner is, is that they both share an owner with the Cleveland Cavaliers. So, you know, draw your own conclusions as, you know, uh, how the engine shop will, who the engine shop will work with in the near future. Absolutely. And I think this is a good acquisition. I think the gamer agency is one of those agencies that their main focus was Mixer Studios. Uh, that's what they've, you know, they worked with a lot of brands, obviously, on activations. Uh, but they're most known for their mixer studio work uh, and, they, and they're doing that well it's like underrated they have a lot of, they have quite a lot of employees uh, without being one of the top agencies so i think they're undervalued so i thought that was good yeah they've had a little bit of an employee drain over the past year i'm like um not employee drain but i guess they, they gave us a lot of good talented people so you had um what is it maddie hirsch who started who started at Machinima, went to Gamer Agency. Now he's over at MLG helping them run their Checkpoint stream and their Overwatch stream. And oh my God, they, did you see what happened with the MLG event this past weekend? With the bomb threat? Yeah, they survived two bomb threat, two fake bomb threats, let's put it that way, right? And, you know, losing that amount of time and still finishing a tournament, it's incredible. They had something like 278 teams. It was like the largest Call of Duty tournament ever. I mean, I think kudos to the MLG team. It's, it's really fascinating to see a team that is so is so professional yet so grassroots at the same time. So having all these grassroots teams while running a very professional tournament is really appreciated. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's definitely not a studio show. So just to get back to the mixer thing, uh, to yeah. the, not the, the gamer agency thing. So um, fun fact, uh, Bruin Sports Capital also uh, owns a part of Courtside Ventures. And Courtside Ventures also has some esports investments. Um, I think most notably they invested in Wave Dash, mm-hmm. which will also be interesting to yeah. see if there's going to be any connections there in the future. Yeah, no, I mean it's you're you're starting to see a lot of people invest into from the esports side, realizing they have to invest in the 
game developers so that they can own the whole experience. Um, I think it's going to be a whole different game in terms of building successful games. And as always, as the year wraps up, we have a plethora of award shows. Um, we had the Game Awards happen, and we also had the SBJ Top 50 Most Powerful People in Sports list. Um, any thoughts on either of those two shows, Mo? So yeah, I mean, the Game Awards, they were really done. They were really well done. One of the things that I thought was really awesome was that you could co-host them, uh, which is really cool. And I don't realize why no publishers, more publishers do this for all their game releases or big announcements. A uh, great example, I'm going on a tangent right now, is Hearthstone released their new expansion last week. and like Super popular right it's now. It's really awesome. They they got a huge chunk of like free-to-play, like like a, a mode, which is incredible, um, which is completely free. Kudos to them. But they have all these expansions, and all these influencers, you know, they, they wait till the announcement is done, and they make a video, and then they go live, or some of them do, not all of them. Some of them make videos on YouTube after. And I think, you know, what would be a lot more powerful if they just allow, to, you don't have to do it, but allow... Um, people to uh, to uh, co-host these announcements so great example for taking the expansion is just let you know like the top influencers they'll they'll co-host it they'll comment on whatever card gets revealed and they'll right away give their comments and it can boost the viewership so much yeah no i mean great great moves by hearthstone a little bit of risk though you know you... but they didn't do it so i mean maybe that's why they didn't do it uh and then what else uh a lot of the owners a lot of the people on the SBJ Top 50 list were traditional sports owners. I think that the only one that was totally endemic to esports was Waylon Roselle and Jared from Riot Esports. Um, oh, and Bobby Kotick. Bobby Kotick, number 38, moved up, I think, from 44 or 46. Um, you know, what he's doing with the Overwatch League is nothing short of incredible. Um, I, got, I got to watch some of that of their preseason last week. It looked really good. Their arena looked amazing. Um, so, I mean, good, good moves over there. So, I mean, I think this is going to wrap up our show. Um, if you're interested in following me, uh, you can catch me on Twitter at Joker Can't Spell. And Mo, where can people find you? You can find me on Twitter at M-R-E-I-S-E-N-M-A-N-N. Thank you guys for listening, and we'll see you next week.